Hey, you're tuning into the Black and Balance podcast by Obia Woman Botanicals. Today's exclusive episode features Kudu Hussey. Kudu Hussey is a root worker and Njuzu priest with roots in Mississippi and Baltimore. She is the granddaughter of sharecroppers who picked cotton and pulled corn not too far from the legendary crossroads. She came back to this mortal coil to help people minister and to be in service to her community. She uses her ancestral birthright of hoodoo as a foundation to support those in need. In this episode, we talk about her grandmother who was born into sharecropping, how juju plays a role in cooking, and why pleasure is so important to her right now. Just a quick warning, during this episode, we are making Hoodoo's famous sweet potato pie. So there are moments where you'll hear measuring spoons rattling and blenders blending. Take a listen. And so she would buy like the freezer bag of mixed vegetables. And I'm like, I feel like they still sell this in the store. And I just, I see it and I just have this like reaction of like, ugh. I feel like the only fresh vegetable she would really buy is like salad mix. And it wouldn't even be like spring mix because that wasn't really like a It thing. was romaine. No, it, it was, was iceberg. iceberg. It was so iceberg. It has like no flavor really. So she would buy this like mix with the different vegetables with the green bean. I feel like there was like a lima bean in there maybe corn and some other type of oh, peas and like carrot. And so then she would like take like a little like casserole dish, put it in there, add, I can't believe it's not oh, butter. Okay, not even real butter. Which is just <laughs> such a monstrosity to me. I'm like, it's so bad for you. She would add that and then add a little bit of salt and put it in the microwave. And that was our vegetables. And she used to tell us, oh, you need to eat your vegetables. You need to, uh, I only give you a tablespoon, but it didn't taste good. So I just thought that vegetables didn't taste good. And then I started tasting vegetables that were fresh from the market and cooked in different types of vegetables and variety. And I was like, oh, I just never had vegetables that were cooked well and fresh. And so since then, there are certain things like my mom makes, uh, she has this broccoli cheddar um, casserole. It's more of like a tart. It's more of like a quiche um, that she would make for Thanksgiving. And I was like... There was one year I was like tasting it. I was just like, this just is getting worse and worse. Like in my mind, I'm like, this does not. But I feel like maybe it like just never good. tasted good. And my, my palate has, has just changed developed. so much. Yeah. So I was like, mom, can I do this this year? And she's like, okay. But she like sat there like she was like on top chef and like trying to tell me what she's to do. Like, so I was like, first of all, so this half and half. We're going to use like, we're going to use like heavy cream. And she had a whole conniption because she grew up in the low-fat era. And she was just like, mm. no, that's too much fat. I'm like, mom, we're not using that much. It's like spread out throughout the whole thing. And also fat is not that It's great for you. In the way that you're, I'm like, trans fat. Yeah. Like, I can't believe it's not butter. Yeah, that's right. That's bad for you. Canola oil. Mm. Yeah. Like, so she didn't understand and she never will. So I was, I had to sneak using heavy cream. I, um, she would use frozen broccoli in hers. I bought fresh organic broccoli. I blanched and shopped it. And she's like, what are you doing? Blah, 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 blah. Like, and I'm just like, it's going to taste so much better. Promise, promise, this promise. Hilarious. And, you know, I actually, another thing, she would buy pre-shredded cheese. And I'm like, mom, that has like wood in it. <laughs> she like, didn't understand. There's like plastic. Yes, I'm yes. like, this is not going to melt. It doesn't taste the same. So I, you know, I took like sharp cheddar, shredded it. Tastes so much better. My best friend, we go to her home for Thanksgiving. And so I was like, whose is better? She's so sweet. She would not admit in front of my mom that mine was better. She's just like, this is so, good. They're both so good. You should, you know, but, 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 uh, you know, Miss Mary, your, yours is good too. But, um, you know, you should continue to make it. <laughs> she had to be very diplomatic. She's not going to like say it straight out. Well, cooking is like such a person, especially, you know, like for women, it's like such a personal thing that saying somebody's food isn't good is like, or whatever, like, oh, this is better could be a shock. It's not a shock to my mom. Oh, she's, she's very much like, I never like to cook. Okay. I only cook because you and your brother are too young to cook for yourself. Okay. She's very self-aware. My grandmother amazing cook she doesn't really cook as much as she used to Mm because she's getting older she's tired and she's been cooking since she was six imagine cooking since you were six in front of a stove in mississippi with a stool okay like was she she had a lot of oh oh wow yes 
Yes. Wow. Which is basically was still slavery. Yeah. It was still slavery. It so. was like slavery point like 2.0. 2.0. Yeah. And so her earliest recollection is cooking and stirring in a pot when she's six years old with a stool. So she's cooked basically her whole life. So I'm like, you're fine. I'll 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 make the macaroni and cheese and the turkey this year. I'm really <laughs> interested in the fact that your grandmother's in her 80s. Yes. And she was a sh- born into sharecropping. Was she Absolutely. born into slavery? No. She no, 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 no. That's, that's, that's no. way too... Wait. No, no, no. She's Sorry. born in 1935. Like Okay. But her... <laughs> I believe that her... Her her grandmother's mother had to have been enslaved. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, my great-great-grandmother was born in, like, 1888. So her mother had to have been, like, toned It wasn't a hard line. Yeah. It was, like, a... This is the time that we're seeing it happen. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Does she talk like? Oh, she talks about her whole life. I know. I mean, I'm sure there's stuff I don't know, but I know a lot about her life because I made it kind of my mission to to learn learn through the oral history of her family, and so learning about like what it was like to share crop, what her life was like. I mean, they used to. I mean, it was a hard life, but she also said that she has like some good memories about it because just the lifestyle of you know they had a huge garden in the back of basically like their like house which kind of like more like a shack but Mm. like where you know anything they ate was from the land the only thing they bought at the store was flour and sugar Mm. and tea okay any vegetable they had they grew if they used um oil in the cooking um it was rendered from the hog like you know grease from the hog yeah any like any meat that they ate it was animals that they were raising That's... chicken was just for sundays after church wow fried chicken yeah and they put it in a fried little chicken. basket yes but that was like a special occasion meal after church but not every week absolutely not meat was not something just on... meat was a flavor yeah Right, it was a flavor because you're not else. killing your animals all the time. It's yes, like, and you don't. I mean, you don't have enough. And yeah, else, like their style of eating was very plant based. Yeah, and I mean, it was you know very African. Right. Yeah. Okay. I grew up with two parents, both from the Chicago area. My dad grew up in the south side of Chicago, kind of like Michelle Obama. Uh, They were very poor. Both my parents grew up very poor. Um, They were the first ones in their families to attend college. And um, yeah, just very like middle class upbringing. Education was always like very, like drilled into me and my brother's head. It was just like, that was a must. It was not like a, if you go to college, it was when. Because, you know, they just grew up in the mindset of that was the only way to succeed. Yeah. And I understand. I totally get it. And coming from the perspective of my grandmother not being able to even really fully attend elementary school because of sharecropping and having to assist with the harvest, I don't take it for granted that I was I freely had access to you know, all the schooling I wanted to do. So, you know, just grew up with that. Um, It was just, um, you know, with my mom not really liking cooking, but my grandmother loved cooking. I liked to, when I would visit my granny, I loved to watch her do things. Um, One of my earliest memories in the kitchen is her showing me how to crack an egg. Just like really simple, but I still do it the same way to this day. How does she do it? Actually, okay. I'll show you. Show me. Yeah. So I'm gonna go ahead and just finish this sugar meat on class and if we, let's see. So we're gonna do. I think and sometimes I do less sugar. We could do a little less sugar since you're not like a sugar person. We're gonna do half a cup. Okay. I've done the. I've lowered the sugar for my parents before, so um, they like to watch it. Um, all right, so I'm actually I'm going to use this table too. Oh, so she just had me like, yeah, and then she's like, you know, put your little finger in there. So we're just gonna separate. 
So we're actually taking the yolks out. Yeah, okay. but we're gonna use we're using the whey. We are nice. We are. So this goes in the main batter, and then we're gonna whip these. Okay. Just adds to like just a lighter texture. Okay. I think a traditional sweet potato pie. Because every time I give someone my sweet potato pie, they're like, oh. This is like the texture is different, but I like it. Um, a lot of people's potato pie is another way that people refer to it, potato pie. Um, it's more of a dense texture, like flatter, mm -hmm. minor, fluffy. Okay, so like whipped, kind of airy. Yeah, it gives mm -hmm. it like a lighter texture. It's not like a lot of people's potato pies are kind of like dense, dense, like, yeah. giving you more of like like Potato a poem. You know, like a poem has like that thicker, yeah. yeah. Which I love a poem as well. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So we separate the eggs. That's okay. literally the same way I did it when I was nine years old. Okay. <laughs> it took a while for me to like do it where I would not get like a little bit of a shell in. Yeah. You know, I was a kid. But, right. Yeah. I mean, it still happens to me. Okay. All right. So we have the softened butter. We have the sugar. We have the eggs. So. Basically, um, some people will, will boil the sweet potato. I prefer steamed because I feel like the flavor of the potato is, the integrity is there. Okay. Boiled, some of that flavor is gonna go into the water. Nice, so, these are steamed? Yes, I yes. love doing steamed. I'm guessing you probably could do baked as well, but steamed is my go-to. I always do it this way. Um, this was another controversy with me and my mother because she uses the sweet potato in a can and the syrup. Okay. It's like a big purple label can. Yeah. I feel like it's a standard. And it's like it's completely a... whipped. Um, no, I... is it? It's like, it's like puree rather than... Yeah, and it like... says like yams and like big letters in it. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of people use that, but I guess for me, part of like when you're cooking, it's the processing of the ingredients is how your ashe gets infused into it. It's how you put your intention on what you want to manifest. So what we're trying to manifest with this pie is we want it to be sweet, we want it to be pleasurable, we want it to be nourishing, and we want people to enjoy it. So, you know, it's a transference of energy as you're cooking. So I just feel like the more homemade it can be, the better. Okay. And so my mom, she thinks it's like too much. She's like, oh, that's too much, that's too much. Cause like, you know, I make a pound cake for my dad and she's just like, oh, you do all that. But I'm like, but you, but you like the end result though. Yeah. When you say, when she says too much, does she mean too much work or just like? Too much work, too much, too much prep. Work. Too much prep. Okay. Cause for her, she's just like, why do all that when you could just get like the Duncan Hines? Just, and I'm like, but the Duncan yeah. Hines taste different. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. You know, so, um, you know, I like using fresh ingredients, um, getting the sweet potato and everything like that. So we're gonna put this with the butter and the egg. Also, we need to measure out the ginger. Um, so butter, and, two? butter and egg with what? Okay. Um. Okay, so what's your mantra? My mantra? Oh, do we have that? Okay, these are the things I need for the batter. The sugar, the egg yolks. Sugar. Half and half, vanilla, ginger, cinnamon, nutmeg. Butter. Okay. So here's the half and half. Okay. If I could just get the, if we can start putting things directly in the kitchen. Okay. Yeah, I'm just gonna give it out. My mantra? Yes, what's your mantra? My mantra what? these days is centering my pleasure and joy. Mm -hmm. Also, that I'm not here on this planet. I did not return to the planet to work myself to fatigue. Mm -hmm. Where did that stem from? Like, what? What catalyzed for you to be in that place that this is what you Um, I think there's such an emphasis on, like, as an individual in capitalist society and being productive mm -hmm. and what it means to be productive and you're lazy if you do this and a third or 
you're not supposed to take time for yourself because you're supposed to be using every moment of your life to do something. And I just, I'm as I'm getting older, I'm just rejecting that so hard because mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm not just here to be somebody's cog in the wheel. Mm -hmm. I I want to be here in this lifetime, enjoying my life, enjoying my loved ones, spending time doing things that bring me pleasure. Yeah. What is bringing you pleasure right now? What is bringing me pleasure right now? Um, well, my number one thing is travel, but in my day-to-day, -day, just being able to do little things that bring me joy, listen to great music, read a book, listen to a podcast, get my nails done, have a conversation with a friend, cooking a really good meal, and having the people who I cooked it for, if I cooked for other people, tell me how much they enjoy it, mm -hmm. those things. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. A ground ginger, cinnamon, nutmeg, this butter. Butter. All right. So, we're gonna so is this your favorite type of pie? A uh, sweet potato pie? Yeah. Yes. Um, I will take a sweet potato pie over an apple pie, which mm. is lovely too. Mm -hmm. I'll take it over, I'll definitely take it over a pumpkin. Like, I'm just like, if I have a um, Friendsgiving or a harvest uh, dinner, please mm -hmm. don't bring pumpkin pie. You could bring something else. <laughs> so like, I will be making the orange pie. <laughs> yeah, like, don't bring, you could bring something else. Bring like a, a cake or something like that. So, you know. Back in the day, people did not have Nutribullets or blenders, so they would like mash it by hand. Until it was this smooth, or was not it until it's that smooth. A it was, it's gonna be a chunk. Like traditional pies would probably be chunky because yeah. they didn't have this modern convenience. They'll be the texture. Yes, like it's more like you see like the strings and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So who taught you how to make this pie? Um, I taught myself. <laughs> um. Honestly, I was very inspired by my great aunt. Um, she passed away like 11 years ago now. Mm -hmm. But, um, 11? It might be 8. Um, alright, so, so we're, we're gonna, gonna put this in some. Yeah, okay. so I'm just gonna wipe this out. Or is this one dry? Doesn't matter. That one's dry. Okay. Um, put this in here. Okay. But we're not ready for this yet, are we? We're not. Not yet. It's smelling so good. <laughs> I'm just gonna do a pinch mm. of this um cream of tartar, and it's a little bit more of a pinch. There we go. Okay. Do that. Um. Yeah, my great aunt, my dad's aunt, she was this like prolific baker and cook, mm. and she had her own sort of like underground catering company. It wasn't oh, like cool. you know registered, but everybody went to her. Oh, cool. And um, she used to, I feel like she's the last of the, or she, she's one of the generation of like, just taste and go. No measurements. No measure. Yeah. I, I like to cook like that. My honestly. granny does not have these None in her of house. She, she has one of these and that's it. Okay. It's just all see and feel. And then honestly, that means that the food may taste different depending on what's going on. You yeah. might... If you're making macaroni and cheese, you might use a little more cheese one day than yeah. other. But that's just traditional. Or just using what you have. Yeah. 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 And so she would make like sweet potato pies that my dad loved. And so now when I cook for like my family, especially like my dad, it's like I want to give him that same feeling that he felt when like my great aunt would cook for him. Because she was, we would go eat at her house and she would make it this big deal. It would be after Christmas, like a few days after. And she would just like just make all these things and as much as she was a home cook she was so adventurous in trying different things and cooking from just different cultures and stuff mm -hmm. and she would make us all these desserts and she'd be like oh I have this I have this I have this can of cake I did this blah 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 and she would tell us about all the orders that she had and wow. blah 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 and then she's like oh you know Billy so my dad's name is William she's like Billy here's your pie to take home with you oh just like God. just for him and it's just the level of like love in that yeah it's like I could almost look at my dad's face and see him as like a child because mm -hmm. it was like that type of like energy like joy. yes yeah, like pure and in his mother my grandmother she died a very long time ago well mm -hmm. like when I was like 12 years old okay. so I feel like she was kind of this surrogate like in that moment it was like almost like a mom doting on a child oh, yeah. and so I try to like when it's like my dad's birthday or like something like he really loves pound cake 
So I, I like to make him a lemon pound, lemon pound cake because I just wow. want him to have that pleasure and joy in enjoying it. So is that... Okay, so you kind of mentioned earlier pleasure being a, a part little of... Sugar. A little sugar. What's over here? Yeah. Great. You kind of measure, mentioned pleasure being a part of like your daily mantra right now. Absolutely. So is that a part of why you want to like distribute that feeling? to your family, to your loved ones? I feel like as black people, it's been something that has been denied us mm. quite often. And I think that it's an act of rebellion almost to center that. Yeah. Because in our society, we're, we're not supposed to be able to have pleasure in the same way. Mm -hmm. It's like we're supposed to be, you know, just- Super refined. Yeah, and so for me, I'm just like, nope, I'm just going to do what I want. And I think black people having joy is radical. Mm -hmm. And it shouldn't be. I would like it to be normalized. Yeah. But we, our lives are policed. Yeah. So just by reclaiming our joy in our day-to-day -day lives and moving in a way that's outside of, you know... A, you know, a gaze that would degrade us or, you know, undermine our happiness. Just being free. It's part of freedom. Mm -hmm. Letting yourself be happy. Yeah. That's good. So, yeah. we're going to blend this up until we get big, big peaks. Okay. So, so, basically completely stiff. Absolutely. Completely stiff. Yeah. Cool. So, should we... So... Okay, it's right here. Okay, sure. It's not reaching. No, that's so, fine. I understand. You have, y'all have a much bigger kitchen than me. I'm always balancing things everywhere. So, this is not. Is, that, is it okay? It, it, it will okay. be fine. This is not like out of the ordinary for me at all. So, like I was saying, my theory about why things taste the way they taste. Right. Um,. Basically, like, there's at least someone who made the same exact pie and it doesn't taste the same. It could be because they're in a bad mood, or it could be because they're making it begrudgingly. They don't feel like it. Like, it's our, you know, we're spiritual people. Our energy is going to transfer. So, when people say you can't just eat from anyone, it's not just about hygiene per se, it's also like the energy. the energy and why and how that person was cooking it. This is really a great, when I was a kid I used to watch like porn films a lot. Um, there was this movie, and I think it was based in Mexico, and it was, it was called like Water for Chocolate, based on a book. Yeah. Yes. And whatever time the main character, every time she cooked, whatever mood she was in, the food reflected it. So if she was feeling real sexy and stuff, and you know, sexual. She served that food to a bunch of people. They were so horny after. And then when she was upset and grieving, folks got sick. Intention. Yes. It's Cooking is juju. Yeah. Cooking is definitely juju. It's juju. It's yeah. Obia. Yeah. Definitely. So I think going into, um, we're just kind of talking about, or interestingly, the connection between like African tradition and then what's actually happening in the States and how far removed it feels, but actually it's not. At all. At all. <laughs> yeah, right. So you've been to Senegal. I have. Where else? You said Ghana? Ghana. Nigeria. Nigeria. Yeah. Um, can you talk about just the the feel like the actual when you touch down like what where does it feel like so i've had different feelings um, okay when i was 13 i think because it was like so different um when i touched down and i saw because it was like a sea of people like waiting for like you know probably loved ones and mm -hmm. you know just a lot of people I got a little scared because I just had never seen that before. It was like a long flight. Mm -hmm. um, back then, you could take a direct flight from New York to Dakar. Mm -hmm. I'm 
I feel like since then that hasn't that's not a thing I feel like you need to stop in like France or like okay. somewhere in Europe um but it was direct flight New York Dakar um the name of the airline was Air Afrique Mm. and the flight attendants were so beautiful mm. it was just like a bunch of like beautiful Senegalese women oh flight attendants with like beautiful outfits I'm just like I guess maybe that airline folded because I mean I haven't I, I it did but um <laughs> I just remember yeah it's like a long flight I think it was like eight hours um that was long for me I, yeah. I wasn't used to flying that long I was used to flights that were two hours or less right um so we went and I think at the time I was bugging my mom about like some shoes um that I wanted and they were just like some like brand that was just like the it thing like at the time yeah like Skechers or something yeah and like I just remember like being very like while I was there realizing like well why is that important like just mm. having like a different perspective of like materialism and what is important and what is not absolutely and also just understanding that what i may think is important is informed by my like very western upbringing here in this country and examining that mm -hmm. you know and also how does me wanting certain things over here my consumption affect the rest of the world at so, 13 you got that I, it started that yeah. train of thought of like, why do I want this brand in particular? Why can't I just be happy with just like, you know, any any type of sandal, mm -hmm. like something cute that you like that yeah. is comfortable. And I think I sort of carried that with me because I to this day I'm not so much like into like brands per se. Mm -hmm. Like I'm like if I like it, I like it. Yeah, I shop everywhere. I don't really like shopping, but uh, you know if it looks nice feels good feels good cool um nigeria that was very interesting because it was you know i had i had no context for thinking about potentially what type of african ancestry that my family might have mm. this wasn't really a thing that people talked about it was just like africa and yeah. then if you wanted to get more specific west, west africa. africa yeah which now we know that people also have ancestry in central africa yeah. people have congo ancestry and golden like so but i think in the frame of thought it was just like african okay west african like that was yeah. just an easy way for people like oh because that's where the you know, that's, that's where they happened. thought, right. like, it was just local to West Africa, but we know that it was more than that. So, being in Nigeria and seeing, basically being able to blend in with the population, I know it's the most populous, you know, country in Africa, but it, I really, people were speaking to me in Yoruba, and it was just, like, so, like, what's good i'm like Jarring. clearly i share an ancestor's face because you know my bloodline has not been on this I, land yeah and for a very long time centuries but i can come yeah. back and people are seeing something in my face that is familiar they're recognizing as could be part of their community mm. so people would speak to me in yoruba but then when um one of my uh, one of the hosts that we were staying with, the family we were staying with, she explained to them like, oh no, 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 she, she's not from here, she's American. So then they're like, oh, she here for, here for her civil service? Stop. So I don't know if this is still a thing in Nigeria, but okay. in, in many countries, like you have to do two years of civil service. It's obligatory Okay. as wow. a citizen and you do it like pretty young. Okay. So they thought that I don't know, maybe I was Nigerian American, but I was just like, oh, I'm gonna come back and do my civil service or wow. something like that. And I was like, no, no, I'm just here. But um, then I, so I was like, this is very interesting that people think that I'm Yoruba. And I've actually met people who are like Yoruba and I'm looking at their face and it's just, it's weird when like you grow up like looking for yourself everywhere and then actually like seeing people I'm like wow these women have a body type similar to me like and so I um I did one of the African ancestry tests which one did you do 
African ancestry. Okay. But it only gives you like, you know, a portion. So like this one is like your, the matrilineal line. Okay. Because that stays the same for like 500 years. So okay. that's like going to be like my mother's mother, mother, mother going back. Okay. So did that. And they said that that was completely Yoruba. Wow. And I was like. A hundred percent. Yes. They said wow. that. And so, I mean, you have different lineages you can research. So obviously that that ancestry is going to be mixed in with other things in yeah. terms of my African ancestry. But I was like, well, this is the ancestry I wear on my face. Yeah, right. And it's interesting traveling around because in a lot of places I blend in. And I feel like that's just a testament to history. That's so cool. Yeah. You know, because right. I'm just like, I have cousins everywhere. Yeah, right. <laughs> like you can actually see. Yes. You can't take that away. Like yeah. that is the physical proof. You can't take that away. Yeah, I was just yeah. like, oh, so... You know, whenever, like, you know, enslavement was happening, you could have family that was separated. You could have, like, a brother and sister, like, one stayed, one got kidnapped, Mm -hmm. or, like, uh, parents that their children got kidnapped, or they got kidnapped, and the children stayed. Like, we're still connected. It's, like, it's very evident when I travel around. I'm, like, oh, You have no clue if (laughs) this person could have been your great, great 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 uncle or something absolutely and like i went to salvador de bahia in brazil Mm. they were speaking to me in portuguese Mm. and when and i i um again i always try to go to like the black owned tour things because it's more personalized and it's more real and so i was with this guy fernando and so you know i know this much i know enough portuguese to tell people i don't know portuguese (laughs) And then I was like, but you just told me in Portuguese. You don't know Portuguese? I'm like, don't know I, it. I don't. That's and as I'm, much as I can tell you. And I follow Portuguese. And so, um, you know, they'll, like, ask him, like, oh, uh, something." he'll say that I'm American. And they're like, oh, but she looks Bayana. No, you're you're lying. You're, you're kidding. She's, she's Bayana. That's crazy because <laughs> the two, like, if you can blend in easily in these two very different places, and even, I don't really even feel like that's, as much in the Americas, right? Like, you're not seeing Americas as in the United States. Mm-hmm. You're not seeing people on a daily basis that you're like, you look like you could be my Not particularly. Sibling. I yeah. mean, like, I have, like, I'll run into people where they're like, oh, y'all look like you could be family, but it's not, like, all the time. So I, I it's just interesting when I go certain places, I'm like, oh, we must have similar African ancestry. Mm-hmm. Did you do the one where they kind of, I think they tell you, like, the tribe, or, like, it's very specific. I haven't done that one. Is that African? Is, is that um the ancestry think, DNA? Or? I think it's, okay, I think it's, I feel like it's African ancestry, because really just a few weeks ago, my aunt texted me, like, her results from African ancestry. Okay. And it actually said this tribe or like a very it was way more specific because i i did 23 and me okay and it's like you know it's pretty broad it's like yeah like this region yeah. yeah yeah i haven't done one of those yet i'm i'm still trying to figure out like which one people are saying is like the most accurate or yeah gives you the i feel like there's some that you could do but then you can like up your upload your results on a website i need to do all that yeah. um It'll be interesting. How long ago did you do yours? Oh, a long time ago. It's been more than 10 years. Oh. Yeah. Because I, like, literally was like, I want to do this. Like, it's been a while. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm sure they've changed, like, I'm sure. changed or updated things. Um, okay, so tradition. This whole thing, this whole project is really... What I want to do is just highlight what is black traditions like the diaspora what are we doing with our food um because I think that when we think about wellness it gets away from us right like whitewashed wellness becomes about I don't know yoga and like hummus and carrot sticks but (laughs) not actual real hummus the way it's traditionally made like some weird hybrids I I hate it (laughs) yeah so um you know, I think this is allowing me to do a lot of thinking about, like, what is wellness for us, right? What does our food really look like? Especially being in the past couple of years in food, 
um, recognizing like how much the food industry is not catered towards us. Like how are we making food? What does our palate look like? So what does wellness feel like for you? Or what do you think that is like your decolonized kind of wellness um, for you? And I guess like personalized, but also what do you think wellness is for black people? Um, I think it's culturally competent nutrition. Mm -hmm. So right now, um, the nutrition field is 97% affluent white women. So if you're going to a clinic or a hospital or even somebody's private practice to say, hey, I need help. I just want to eat things that are more uh, nutritionally dense. I want to be more balanced. They're going to give you something based on their cultural values. They're going to assume that your food all the food of your culture is bad for you and mm. that's not fair and it's not right you shouldn't have to forgo your culture and the foods that are important to you in order to be living a healthy balanced life mm -hmm. honestly traditional in terms of african-american dishes are very healthy i think what people are thinking about um they're thinking about some of the more processed foods when they associate African-American cuisine, but that's like this much of things. Um, they're thinking of like Popeyes and not like... Yes. They're not thinking bar. of like red rice and yeah. they're not thinking about like different types of like leafy greens. Like right. the, the diet is very plant-based. Um, and even people thinking that like collard greens are bad for you, like this... It doesn't make sense. Love collard greens. Well, because they're like, oh, if you cook it with the ham hock, I'm like, mm, no, that's not really what's bad for you. <laughs> like, I think there's just a lot of, um, you know, they're like, oh, this has so much fat, this has this. But French cuisine has a lot of fat. They use a lot of mm -hmm. butter and cream, but they, their cuisine doesn't get demonized. Yeah. So I think people associate certain foods like, I don't know, red velvet cake or, mm -hmm. or fried chicken as if that, that's like all the food. It's not. I think the reason why people do that is because, um, so during the Great Migration, when people were like coming up north and going out west, um, they had more access to certain foods and like, um, than they would have traditionally. So they, because of like nostalgia and sort of that feeling of like, I miss my, the old country. Yeah. It was that same thing. So maybe they might make some of the special occasion foods more often. More often and that became a sort of like soul food that people like know. Mm -hmm. But that's not the complete picture of what the food is. Mm -hmm. So it's like, yes, like I think that you can sort of maybe change and adapt recipes for the current lifestyle. Some recipes were, or some dishes, were more for when people were working sun up to sundown. So we have to acknowledge like, no, no, we like drive more, we yeah. not walk as much. Yeah. So certain things could use like maybe an edit, but we don't have to lose the soul and the flavor of, of the dish. Yeah. I think um, you have to also meet people where they're at. Mm -hmm. You can't expect people to go from maybe eating more processed things on a regular basis to going to completely making everything from scratch, going to the farmer's That's market yeah. and things like that. You have to make it reasonable and approachable and also understand like people's limitations. Mm -hmm. So I think there needs to be more black people working in food and nutrition. Yeah. When I go to these events, and I haven't gone to one in so long because I was so like discouraged by what I saw. When you go to these food and nutrition events, it's mostly white people with money. Always. And the irony of, I went to a, a TED talk for food a few years ago, maybe, I don't know, I want to say like maybe four years ago. Okay. And I think I went on like a scholarship, right? Mm -hmm. And so, um, the following year, I wanted to go to the same talk. I don't think it was under TED at that point. They called it something else, mm -hmm. like food talk, or whatever. I didn't see anything for a scholarship anymore. We're talking about tickets that are 300 plus dollars. Um, and so when I emailed the organizer, she never got back to me. But guess what? Guess whose face was on the website because I was sitting up front last year. Are you kidding me? Of course. Yeah, of course. 
Like, I'm, like, I'm sitting there seeing myself in a row of people from last year's event. And yeah. I was just like, okay, so you can have my picture up yeah. here, my brown face. But you can't actually make this accessible for me right. to normally be here. It was so crazy. And I remember going to that event and having the black people who were there, they were like, actually, we were talking to each other. And like one guy, he like saw me, he was presenting and I believe he was like, um, his like mom was from, or his dad was from Ghana and his mom was like white or something like that. He was presenting about something and he immediately like saw me in the audience because that's how like sparse it was. Wow, yeah. And right. so it's just very discouraging because it's just like, well, I don't want to sit around a bunch of rich people talking about how we are going to change the food system. You need to have everybody at the table, literally. Yeah, everybody. And it's just, yeah. it's hard because they, they there's so many... They make it inaccessible and there's a lot of obstacles to try yeah. to get in the conversation. I think also um, amongst the, like within the black community, there is some misconceptions about what we eat, right? Absolutely. So I think I've been teaching food ed and I love, one of, one of the reasons what that I love so much about the job is going into schools with majority black and brown kids mm-hmm. and saying like, Whenever people think of health, they're thinking of some white blondes, like they're thinking right. of Gwyneth Paltrow. And just my presence there, and even, you know, the class that I was teaching was plant-based. So when people think of black food, they think black food is synom- synonymous with only meat. Um, so just showing kids that, hey, you don't have to look like that to eat well, or the food can actually taste good like you were saying about vegetables when you're a kid like and even just bringing juju into that if it's not made with that love or if it's not made with the intention of pleasure and enjoyment you're not going to get that out of it so yeah it's really that's really interesting about going to the the TED talk and I feel like just in my journey trying to navigate wellness and food it's been every single job that i've been at has been all white women um all you know affluent always working in park slope um and just the environment is not conducive to praise our food they're prejudiced yeah and they bring a lot of stereotypes into how they approach our community and it's like yeah, no one wants to eat this, like, snack that you like. This is not something they're familiar with. Yeah. And now you're saying, oh, they don't want to eat healthy. Yeah. they rather eat fried chicken because you've decided what is, is healthy. healthy. Yeah. And because they rejected that and you probably have, like, an attitude of entitlement and snobbery, you're taking it as, oh, well, they just want they to eat healthy. They don't like healthy food. Yeah, yeah. and I... I hate that. Yeah. I really hate that. And it really bothers me that that is the dominant voice in food and nutrition. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we're going into Okay, so going back into I really really wish that the this the um, mixer was a little quieter because you were that was a really good piece that you're talking about of just like intention and tasting um so and like how you're folding that into how you started practicing hoodoo um so I'm interested a how long have you been practicing hoodoo and also what are you feeling about like the mainstream come more mainstream attention to witchcraft or like mm-hmm. alternative i don't know what there's alternative a bunch of, yeah or, or new just, age yeah there's um, like a bunch of weird titles so hoodoo is something that's like my whole life and um, but i think that because of like stigmas and things like that people never called it that Mm. people didn't call it that but everything like culturally about like my upbringing Mm -hmm. um you know outside of my mom and christianity she's like she's removed like (laughs) but like just my family like 
things that we do, don't do, what we eat on New Year's Eve, mm-hmm, New Year's mm-hmm. Day, like all those things, how you sweep, how ritual. You, yeah, all of these things, it's all hoodoo. Yeah. It just, we didn't, we lost the name for it. And also, you didn't really want to be associated with it outright, mm-hmm. even though our culture is steeped in it. Mm-hmm. And so, a lot of things that were just normal. As I'm getting older, I realize, oh no, that was part of our like traditional religion, our traditional practice. Uh, but you know, people don't realize when you're like in it, you don't realize necessarily that. realize that oh, this has to do with like the beliefs that our enslaved ancestors brought also, over right. and held on to. Right. It's just like the blowing out the candle thing. Yes. Right. Or like I don't know. Yeah, I've realized a lot of things that I grew up with were. These are very spiritual practices, and even though you guys are, like, scared of Obia, right. like, you're also Participating in the culture of it and the beliefs yeah. and the traditions. And so, um, you know, there's just things that are just normal. They're like, oh, no, that that, that is that has to do Um But um, what was the second part? So the second part is, like, the mainstream. Like, there's, oh. I you know, like, there's been a rise in interest and then yes. you know what i think urban outfitters like selling oh right the like commodification that. of it yeah yeah i just i hate the whole idea of like which as aesthetic mm-hmm. because i'm like it's not an aesthetic it's you know hoodoo is not an aesthetic if you practice practice witchcraft or different types of you know spiritual beliefs um, different practice. It's not just an aesthetic. It's not just about like wearing crystals and calling yourself a witch and having like acrylic nails and a hat on. Like it's, it's not pointy nails. Yeah, it's that's it's not black lipstick. Yeah, I mean like yeah. you want to do all that and that's your aesthetic. Fine, but don't like call yourself a witch because or, of it. Also, if you're white, don't call yourself a bruja. Like no, yeah, <laughs> that's not for you. Um, and so I, I hate how what Urban Outfitters did. I hate that you know people think it's cute to you know talk about voodoo or voodoo or voodoo. How like you know people name products after things mm-hmm. like like oh this is like voodoo beer. This mm-hmm. is voodoo oh, donuts. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, but that's people even use like terms like mojo is. A, is a term in hoodoo but it became this like American term that's just used in the mainstream. What is, okay so what is mojo? Well in a, in the American context of how people say it they're like oh I lost my mojo oh I got my mojo back yeah. meaning like it's kind of like you know that, that part of yourself like your confidence kind of confidence your little your little essence your little flavor yeah okay um but a mojo is actually like a traditional like bag it's very african it's like a charm and it's also called a grigri bag too and i feel like they do this all over like there's probably like a different name for it in obia uh in martinique they their obia or hoodoo is called kenwa in St. Lucia, their traditional practice is Kele. Like, I feel like they all probably do some version of, like, a little bag. Right. Yeah. Okay. So how did... I wonder how that connected. Like, how did Mojo become... Or what is... Like, what um, is... Through music. Okay. So, yeah. uh, the original song uh, was sung by Ann Cole, Mojo Working. Mm. Um, I think mainstream maybe didn't understand what she was talking about. But blues is, like, hoodoo gospel. Mm. They, the, the blues, the traditional blues, they sing about all these things. They sing about mojos. They sing about High John the Conqueror Root. Mm. They sing about, you know, someone trying to make someone fall in love with them and doing different things. Like, it's, when it's you, our gospel. Yeah. <laughs> so, the original song was sang by Ann Cole, I Got My Mojo Working. And it was really about her having like a mojo that she was trying to use to attract a man. Mm. And then Muddy Waters recorded it, and that's the one that's very famous. Okay. And so I think that's how it started getting into the American lexicon. Okay. Because everybody loved the blues. And yeah. Love Muddy Waters. So yeah. Yeah. I think that was like kind of the first pop culture 
reference of it that went like across mainstream not just like among like black people so and then from there it just started to lose its actual meaning exactly because if you ask somebody off the street even like black people like they are not gonna say oh it's actually like you know a traditional bag that has different you know things inside based on what you're trying to you know do in terms of your work Mm -hmm. so Yeah. yeah so what about like what do you feel about more black people like rediscovering or just exploring in hoodoo and other like traditional spirituality practices i love it you love it i love it to me it's a homecoming Mm. it's a rediscovery of self because it's always been there it's in our blood it's in our dna Mm -hmm. it's our birthright um i want more people to come home um i think the more we celebrate and uplift the practices of our ancestors our culture i think the better we'll be as a people because a lot of these practices that we have you know in terms of like hoodoo here in um you know the united states for african americans and like obia and like english-speaking countries in the caribbean and like the different types of things that people um practice in other parts of the diaspora these were used for resistance. Mm-hmm. These were used to resist oppression and to be able to do things and cope with your day-to-day life and to heal and to, you know, just do a lot of different things. Like survival. Yeah. Yeah. So. Tips for people of color who want to explore traditional spirituality practices. So the first thing, because I have a lot of people who come to my inbox and ask me this, mm-hmm. first thing I tell them to do is to buy or borrow or find a way to get their hands on the book Mojo Working, mm-hmm. the old African American hoodoo system. Okay. Uh, Catherine Hazard Donald, she's one of our like premier like scholars in terms of like African American spirituality, and I think it gives a good context. If you're coming from like you don't know anything. anything, but even if you know something, it's like a seminal text to okay. so sort of give you a nice foundation of what it is, where it came from, the African like uh, Bakongo connection, mm. all the things. So I tell people to start with that. Then um, you know there are a lot of people all over the country who are um, doing this work and who teach but um it's not you just have to be careful mm-hmm. just like do your research and okay. your due diligence on people but um it's something that is taught like person to person it's not something that you really like do an online course well there are people who do online courses okay. but um i would say it's more teaching someone showing someone mm-hmm. that's more traditional than like reading a book that's telling you how to do x y and z that's not really how it should be Mm -hmm. yeah right it's like it's a tradition so it's something that's passed down right yeah 